0: you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Lamentations uh, chapter 3 as we uh, look at a very short passage, but I think a really critically important one, as today we have been considering the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and how that hope can steady us when we are going through uh, difficult times. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. And continue through verse 26. Please pay careful attention to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father, we pray that in these moments, your spirit would work by and with the word, that we would behold your faithfulness in a fresh new way, and that having found you to be good all the time you are good, we would trust you with every fiber of our being. Father, we pray that you would do this for the glory of your holy name, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Robert G. Rayburn was the founding president of Covenant Theological Seminary and Covenant College. Um, If it weren't for Dr. Rayburn, I wouldn't have a job, and honestly, if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't be preaching either. Uh, He was a larger-than-life influence uh, in my life. And one of the reasons was that as a high school uh, student, I had read his little book, Fight the Good Fight, I looked for it on the church library. Uh, it's not there, but if you ever run across a copy, it's well worth uh, taking time to peruse. It is an exposition of the truths of Ephesians 6, but set in the context of his experience as a paratrooper during the Korean War. Uh, Dr. Rayburn had served as a chaplain during World War II with an artillery unit. Uh, the unit had saw, uh, seen combat. And he had gone into the reserves after uh, the war was over and really never expected to be called up again. In fact, uh, the chief of chaplains kept telling him that it was very remote. Uh, He was at uh, Wheaton College at that time, had finished his doctorate at Dallas Seminary, and um, looking forward to being a professor when he received the orders to report for duty. Um, He arrived in Korea and he and two other candidates were advised that they had need for a chaplain for a parachute regiment. Um, One of the the guys that was uh, in the line was not considered because he was Roman Catholic. They already had a Roman Catholic chaplain. Uh, The other one said that his back was bad, and at the age of— Over 50, he felt like jumping out of airplanes was not the best um, way for him to serve the Lord. And so everyone looked at Dr. Rayburn, as you can imagine. Um, And he, he looked at the chaplain and he said, well, give me 24 hours to pray about this. And and he went and he said, you know, my my thinking began this way. He said, I had already served my country during World War II. Uh, What would my wife say if I was jumping out of airplanes at this age? Uh, How crazy is this? And then the Lord directed him to Psalm 91. And particularly, and he admits he was taking this out of context, uh, the verse that he will not let you dash your foot against a stone. And he said, well, Lord, you have providentially brought me to this circumstance and if this is your will for my life, well, then I'm all in. So he went back the next day and said that he would be willing to serve as a chaplain to this unit, and um, he was promised that he would be given jump school uh, training, and everything would be great, and that lasted about 24 hours uh, when he was told to get into Jeep and uh, report to a forward staging area, and upon his arrival, he was notified that they were now in a secure zone and that the day after, the very next day, they were going to make a combat jump behind enemy lines. And Dr. Rayburn said, wait a minute, I haven't, I've never jumped out of an airplane. I haven't been uh, trained. And he said, well, there's nothing to it. You'll pick it up. No, no big deal. So he made his first jump behind enemy lines Uh, into a combat zone, never having jumped out of an airplane before. All they said was put your legs together, bend your knees, and hope for the best. And um, he said that when he touched down, he actually ended up on his knees, which reminded him to thank the Lord for not letting his foot strike a stone. Well, that that was a pretty impressive story. The AP actually picked that up and uh, carried that in the news of the day. But three weeks later, he was told they were going to do a night jump. And um, so they, they went up um, in the troop carrier, uh, out the door. This was his second jump into the black darkness. Uh, no idea of what lay beneath. And as he was coming down, his chute had deployed, He felt something above him. It sounded as if uh, someone was wrangled up in the guy lines to the parachute, in in the uh, shroud. And so what had happened is the trooper who had jumped after him um, had drifted, as soon as his canopy deployed, had drifted into Dr. Rayburn's canopy and gotten entangled in the parachute cords. And because uh, Dr. Rayburn's chute, I don't know much about parachutes, but, but apparently um, the fact that his chute was open caused the other troopers' chute to deflate. And this guy basically was riding down on top of Dr. Rayburn's chute, holding on for dear life. And I've always thought that's an amazing metaphor, isn't it? Jumping without a chute. Maybe you felt that way before yourself. Some of those in this congregation, I have to imagine, are wrestling with depression. And it's an ongoing battle that never seems to be won. There's never a clear victory. Every time one feels as if they're making progress, um, it raises its ugly head again. Charles Spurgeon wrestled with depression. Many great Christians of the faith have wrestled with depression. Some are, are wrestling with chronic diseases. Um, with conditions that will be with them until they see Jesus, uh, where they're trying in the midst of chronic pain uh, to hold on to their joy and to trust in the Lord in the midst of prolonged suffering. Others have undergone economic setback or had a, a young person in their family wander away from the Lord and are dealing with the heartbreak of wondering whether they will return. There, there are all kinds of times when we feel like we're hurtling through space with no one to save us. Be of good cheer. Jeremiah understood. Now, because I'm an Old Testament professor, I do have to make the observation That there are some who have claimed that Jeremiah did not write the book of Lamentations, uh, that this passage that we are reading in chapter three uh, is actually a representation of the women of Jerusalem um, lamenting after the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, I don't think that there is any legitimate reason, I certainly have never seen a compelling case to doubt the tradition, uh, both of the people of God in the Old Covenant. the church, that these are Jeremiah's words. And he is surely writing them in the wake of the fall of Jerusalem in 587-586. And he is wrestling with this sense that his entire ministry has been an utter, utter abject failure. I mean, think about it. Uh, He gets thrown down a well. Um, The king refuses to listen to him, cuts up the word. I mean, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, you realize why he's called the weeping prophet. He understood disappointment. He understood heartbreak. He understood what it was like to see your life's work disappear, um, as it were, in a moment. And so he says this in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Now, this is a prophet of God who is speaking about how he feels he's being treated by Yahweh God. right? How the Lord is dealing with him. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my way with blocks of stones He's made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all people's The object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness and sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. And just parenthetically, that's got to be the worst, right? You can just imagine what it would be like to break your teeth grinding on gravel. And made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. And so I say... My endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. He's overwhelmed by seeing the exile of God's people to Babylon and the destruction of the temple and wondering what hope there is for the promises made to the patriarchs to be fulfilled. Remember my affliction and wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. Look, he isn't denying. He's not a happy, clappy Christian, right? He's denying the present suffering around him and saying, oh, just just pretend it's not happening. He is facing it full on, acknowledging how it's ripping his heart apart. And then he says this, but this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Jeremiah says, we have to be a people of memory if we're going to be a people of hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Um, I love that phrase, steadfast love. Um, I love the authorized version that refers to it as tender mercies. Um, the, the old NIV just says love, well, um, but this is God's unshakable, unbreakable covenant love, his said, which is the love wherewith God loves his people. It's a love that cannot be vanquished. It's a love that will not be extinguished. It is a love that will persevere through fire and flood and whatever comes, holding tightly the people of God to the breast of the Savior. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Beloved, there is no circumstance that will come into our lives that will shake the love of the Father for you or break your union with the Son through the Spirit, right? You, you can, whatever is going on, what you must know, what you must believe is that... The Savior is going through it with you because his steadfast love never ceases. Um, The Masoretic text actually says, because of your great steadfast love, we are not consumed. Right? We'll go through the fire, but Isaiah says we won't be burned. We'll go through the flood, but we will not be overcome by the waters. For God's love will hold us fast. His mercies never come to an end. Um, And the the word um, that underlies that word mercy in the Old Testament is a word that refers to the feeling that a young mother, a brand new mother, feels for the child in her arms. Right? That that mama grizzly love that will not be separated from the one who has been entrusted to her. God loves you like that. Um, Pastor Jimmy Akin said, uh, when you meet a mama grizzly, right? Coming around the trail, you those of you that like to hunt, uh, and you come upon a grizzly bear, it matters a lot whether you're the hunter or the baby bear, right? Because if you're the baby bear, you are dearly and completely loved. And you know that that love will persevere. That's the kind of mercy that God the Father has for his beloved children. You are his beloved. And then, uh, so, so we have his hased, we have his mercy, and we have his emunah, his faithfulness. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I love the uh, today's English version here. Not so much other places, but here it's as sure as the sunrise. Uh, Is the sun going to come up tomorrow? Right? Can I get an amen? If you were a Baptist, somebody would say amen. Um, Right? Uh, The sun's going to come up tomorrow as sure as the sun coming up in the morning. So the steadfast love of the Lord and his mercies will be ever new in your life. Whatever is going on, whatever trials you are enduring, that much is true. Great is your faithfulness. And of course, those are the words that are used in that great hymn that God's people have sung for so many years. Great is your faithfulness. Um, Morning and evening, right? seed time and harvest, what, whatever point in your life, even in the darkest depths of anxiety in the midst of the night, when, when those tossings and turnings and tears that the author of Psalm 56 wrote of, to know that the Father's love and mercy and his great faithfulness are covering you, that he's catching every tear in his bottle, that none of it will be lost, all of it will be redeemed. Jeremiah says, you and I have to be a people of memory to remember the mighty acts of salvation. Um, Love to teach students about the Exodus, right? Because they, they know the stories, but they never think about the fact that God's people were set free to worship him to walk with him, to fulfill his creation mandate that they would be his vicegerents in his temple garden, bringing glory to his name through their ordinary everyday vocations. Uh, The Ten Commandments viewed against the Exodus are a charter of liberty, what, um, what we might call the Magna Carta of the Christian life, and then the return from exile, right, which Jeremiah unfortunately will not see, but which we know Where God's people are brought out of exile, and this is a a glorious picture of yet another exodus and another return from exile, as the Lord Jesus, by his death on the cross, delivers us from bondage to Satan and sin and death and hell, we have this glorious, retemptive history. Um, I was looking around on the shelves in uh, Pastor Tolle's office. Don't tell him I was perusing his bookshelf, but I loved seeing uh, Promise and Deliverance, the four-volume work by DeGroff. Um, what a marvelous, and he also has Voss's biblical theology, getting into that progressive story of the redemption that has purchased, been purchased for us by Jesus. Beloved, we need to remember that, and you need to remember it most, when you are struggling with doubt. Kelly Kapik, um, my young um, colleague, well, younger colleague, I guess he wouldn't say he's young, uh, wrote in his book, Embodied Hope. He said, our view of God has consequences when we are suffering. It will either draw us near him as a compassionate father, or it will cause us to distrust him as a mad scientist. Beloved, the Lord is not a mad scientist. The fact that you and I don't know what he's doing doesn't mean that he isn't doing something beautiful. The fact that he's allowing us to go through hard times doesn't mean that he isn't using that to shape us into those um, sharpened arrows of Isaiah 49 that are going to be used to, uh, to launch the gospel into new context through our lives as witness and testimony to the mercy of grace. I, look, my wife struggles with rheumatoid arthritis and I have watched her over these years, um, keeping not only her faith, but her joy in the midst of chronic suffering. And God has used it to make her empathetic. And I mean, she always was empathetic and compassionate. But it's given her a whole new area of ministry as she ministers to other women who are wrestling with these kinds of issues. God won't waste anything in our lives. Uh, One of the darkest times in my life was as an associate pastor at our church up in St. Louis. We had come back from the mission field after 10 years with MTW, um, had served in East and South Africa. I was the missions pastor, um, then the associate pastor, and then our senior pastor developed liver cancer. And he fought it bravely, preached really right up until a few weeks before he went to glory. Um, But... That January, before his death in early March, I was on um, the session had sent me off on a, on a week long sabbatical and I was sitting um, in a little trailer above the Pacific Ocean out in Big Sur, California. Uh, one of my elders had come with me, and I was just near despair, near despair because i, I couldn 't see any way that Rodney was going to survive this. Um, worried for his family, worried for him when he was enduring, worried for what the church would endure when he, our founding pastor, went to be with Jesus, and worried what that would mean for me um, in the months that would follow. And so, over lunch, I, I said to Terry, uh, the elder who had come with me, "I am I'm just falling apart." And he said, "Well, you go home, take a, a legal pad. We were both, I former lawyer, he's also still a lawyer." He said, go back to your cabin, take a legal pad, and write down the mercies of God to you. And I said, you're kidding. He said, go ahead. I said, it'll take five minutes. He said, no, I bet it will take you the rest of the day. And he was right. I sat down and began to just reflect over the times I had seen God come mighty to save in various points of my life through our time in Africa. Um, through the lives of our children, and through his work in the church. And when I was done, it didn't change any of the facts on the ground. My beloved pastor would still go to be with the Lord. Uh, I would spend a year and a half trying to lead the church through that grieving process and healing process, preparation for the new senior pastor that would come. It would be something that would stretch me in every possible way, but my attitude changed. I no longer felt like an orphan. I felt like a beloved child. And that makes all the difference. Look, if we're going to survive, when we're falling without a shoot, right? We have to remember that underneath are the everlasting arms. Be a people of memory in order that we might become a people of hope. Jeremiah goes on. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Um, that phrase, the Lord is my portion, that should bring to mind, of course, the Levites. They were not given any land in the distribution um, of the land in Israel. Their portion was to serve the Lord. And so Jeremiah says, the Lord's my portion. Look, they can take everything. They've taken the temple. They've taken God's people and sent them off to Babylon, but they cannot take my God. And he says, If I have God, I need nothing else. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. And as we observed this morning, beloved, that's not a wishful thinking kind of hope, it's an overwhelming confidence. The Lord is good. Right, all the time. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. Um, what I love, and if you had an NIV eighty-four, you would see that the ESV and the NIV flip this, the hoping and the waiting, because the root word for both in the original is the same. To to wait is to hope. To hope is to wait. Case in point, my golden retriever buddy. Um, Buddy is my alarm clock, right? Without fail, every morning, um, he comes and sits right by my face, uh, waiting for me to notice that he's there, right? And I always do. And then we get up and we go out. I take him outside and then I make coffee. Um, He knows that I'm not going to feed him until I've had one cup of coffee because I can't do anything until that's happened. Uh, But he will sit there right by me, staring at me while I'm trying to have devotions. Waiting, because he knows that as sure as the sunrise, I'll feed him, and then I'll take him for a walk. I have done so every day of his life. Why would today be any different? And so he waits, not wishfully, but with overwhelming confidence that my love for him is sure. And Jeremiah says, "Do you do you wait on the Lord in that way?" Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Written to the exiles, right? Uh, An appropriate verse. Um, To to recall at this point of reading Lamentations 3, I know the plans, the thoughts I have of you, declares the Lord's. Plans to prosper you. And the word for prosper is to give you shalom, right? To give you shalom, to, to make you whole. Not to harm you. Plans to give you a future with hope. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. And so Jeremiah says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. How do we seek him? Well, we seek him through the means of grace, the word, the sacraments and prayer. And I'm so proud of you all in the OPC that you still have an evening service, right? Beginning and ending the Lord's day in the worship of his holy name. And I I looked with amazement at all those Bible memory trophies, how Bible memorization has fallen out of vogue in the church and how we need to reclaim it. How can we depend on the word, right? As the psalmist says, in God whose word I praise, how can we praise the word of God if we don't know it? How can we call it to mind in the middle of the night when we're tossing and turning on our beds if we haven't committed it to our hearts? And then studying that word and learning about systematic theology by studying the catechism and the confession of faith. And I'll tell you, when it comes to ethics, the larger catechism has it covered, right? A word for every circumstance that comes up, even in our contemporary society and then studying biblical theology, that history of redemption, and remembering our place in it, and remembering the promise of what is yet to come. The Lord is good to those who wait, to those who hope for him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Beloved, we have seen his salvation in our lives as we were born again into that living hope that Peter spoke of. We will see it when he comes to judge the nations and to make everything new. A new heaven, a new earth, a just and righteous king. That is yet future. And in the interim, our job, Peter will say in First Peter 2, 9 and 10, uh, those who have been called out of darkness into his glorious light, our job is to declare his praise well you 're probably thinking that I completely forgot about Dr. Rayburn um, with the guy tangled in his chute no i haven 't. Um, they were coming down. Uh, Dr. Rayburn said that he he realized that they were falling faster than uh, his first jump had been, and he was having much more trouble controlling the chute and he was thinking about the fact that they were going to hit the ground harder, and he had been told that if you hit the ground above a certain speed, you would probably shatter a limb. And so he was wondering how that was all going to end. And he said, the Lord, in his mercy, provided a nice, soggy rice paddy. And the two of them plopped right into it. And uh, a bunch of uh, medics ran over with a stretcher. They wanted to carry Dr. Rayburn away to a hospital tent. And he said, no, I'm fine. I'm just a little soggy. Um, and the trooper who had ridden down on his chute came up, and when he saw the cross on Dr. Rayburn's collar, he said, Padre, if I'd known it was you, I wouldn't have worried so much on the way down. Right? I, I don't know what you're going to wrestle with this week. I don't even know what I'm going to wrestle with. Right? I didn't know yesterday morning when I woke up and had coffee that I was going to be here today. Who knows what God has planned for us tomorrow. But this much I know. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, sure as the sunrise. Great is his faithfulness. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that you would meet us in the midst of our brokenness, that by your spirit you would comfort, that you would instruct, that you would encourage and renew our strength, that whatever trail you call us to hike, whatever path we are called to follow, we would recognize that you will travel it with us. Your spirit indwelling us, strengthening us, teaching us from your word, empowering us to do all that you've asked us to do until we behold our Savior face to face. Father, give us joy. Give us confidence in your great faithfulness, mercy, and hesed. We pray in Jesus' mighty name.